Welcome back again to the weekly commentary that the North New South Wales Sabbath School Department produces on the current Sabbath School lesson. I'm Sven Erstring, the Director of Church Planting, and I work closely with Matt Parra in the Evangelism Department. This week's lesson builds directly on last week's lesson, which was about the sources of our theological beliefs. If you had a chance to listen to Matt's commentary last week, or you're involved in a Zoom Sabbath School discussion last Sabbath, you will remember that there are five influential sources for our theological beliefs. The first four sources are tradition, experience, culture, and reason. Matt addressed tradition and experience, and a similar analysis would apply to culture and reason as well. What you will have noticed is that Matt pointed out why these sources are not reliable, authoritative sources for our theological beliefs. The foundations for these sources do not stand the test of careful scrutiny, which means that ultimately we should not base our theological beliefs on these sources. They should not form the theological standard for our own personal lives and in our church. So you might be left wondering, what can we base our theological beliefs on? If none of these provide adequate, reliable foundations, none of them can be the standard authority for our theological beliefs. Where can we find a foundation strong enough to build our theology? The good news is that there is such a foundation. We're going to focus fully on that foundation. It's called sola scriptura. Now, at this point, you might be saying, sola what? I've heard of solar panels and solar-powered garden lights, but what is sola scriptura? Well, Sola Scripture is a very important topic for us in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you go to the Google and type in Seventh-day Adventist Fundamental Beliefs, it will lead you to the webpage for our global church that summarizes the beliefs that we have as a worldwide movement. Right there in the preamble on this webpage, it says, Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as the only source of our beliefs. We consider our movement to the, be the result of the Protestant conviction sola scriptura, the Bible as the only standard of faith and practice for Christians. It's incredible when you think about it. What the preamble is saying is this. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a direct descendant of the Protestant movement, which was convicted on the principle of sola scriptura. The Seventh-day Adventist movement is standing on the shoulders of the giants of the Reformation who are standing squarely on the foundation of Sola Scriptura. We've inherited the principle of Sola Scriptura from our great, great Reformation grandparents. We're the ones who are responsible for carrying the torch of Sola Scriptura in the great Olympic race called the Great Controversy here on Earth. You can now start to see the significance of sola scriptura. If we fall off the shoulders of the reformers, if we lose the Reformation family heirloom, if we drop the church, then the entire world may fall back into the shadow of the Dark Ages. But what exactly is sola scriptura? What is Sola Scriptura? As always, sometimes the best way to understand a concept is a story. 
and I want to take you back on a journey to a little village called Wild House in Toggenberg Valley in the Swiss Alps. Think of beautiful snowy-topped mountains framing the valley with green slopes lower down, wooden chalets for farmhouses, and a distant tinkle of bells on goats as they make their way down for their evening feed. This is what life was like for Huldrich Zwingli, Huldrich Zwingli, when he was growing up. The purity of the air and the grandeur of the mountains surrounding his farm made a powerful impression on the young boy's mind. It was a powerful reminder of the greatness and the majesty of God. What a beautiful, beautiful place to grow up as a young person. But it's not only Zwingli's physical surroundings as a boy that made a powerful impression upon him. Whenever he had the chance, he would sit beside his grandmother who told him stories. Stories of patriarchs and prophets who lived by faith in God. Of shepherds watching their flocks by night, wondering what was happening in the world. And then their surprise visit by an angel choir. And then the person who grew up to become the saviour of the world, who died on the cross for him. While Zwingli's grandmother did not own a Bible for herself because of what the church believed at the time, she shared whatever she could remember, the stories that came to her mind. And these stories became etched on the young Zwingli's mind. Zwingli's dad was the chief magistrate in their community, so he is well aware of the value of education. And when Zwingli turned 13, his father decided to send him to the most prestigious boarding school in Switzerland, which was located in the city of Bern. This decision was not without its dangers, though, because down in the city, there were monks on the prowl looking for innocent young children to lure into their monasteries. They saw in Zwingli a very talented young man who would advance their cause if they're able to train him up in their traditions. You know, Switzerland's spiritual future was in the balance. There was also the Dominican and Franciscan monks who were vying to get the best young people as well. And they saw in Zwingli someone that they wanted, a person that they wanted to promote, advance their cause. Fortunately, Zwingli's dad uh, caught wind of what was happening and he had the wisdom and the fortitude to command Zwingli to come home. Now, we're not told what Zwingli thought about being summoned home, but we do know that he obeyed his dad's orders. God had other plans for this young man, plans that would change the direction of his country and the world. Zwingli might have been extracted out of his school in Bern, but even his father could not extract the love of books and learning out of Zwingli. He was up there in the valley just poring over his books, wanting to dive back into his education. So soon he was heading back down the valley, this time towards Basel. And God had a divine appointment waiting for him. A divine appointment. There in Basel was a teacher called Wittem Bach, who himself was a student of ancient languages, including Hebrew and Greek. And in his quest 
for ancient literature in the libraries and monasteries and churches at that time. He came across the Hebrew and Greek scriptures. And as, as Wittenberg opened these ancient writings and instructed their meaning to the students in his classes, rays of divine light began shining into their minds. The same Zwingli was gripped by the Bible stories that his grandmother told him was the same Zwingli who was gripped by the, the teaching of Wittenberg. Wittenberg told him that these writings contained material greater, greater value than any of the other theories found in the other books that could be in the library. They were a higher rank. There was something greater with these writings. And in particular, uh, Wittenberg impressed upon the minds of his students that the only hope sinful people have is in Jesus' death on the cross. God was speaking to Zwingli's mind. Zwingli was caught in the powerful headlights of Sola Scriptura. You know, good things like education do eventually come to an end. And Zwingli uh, got a job. He was posted to a little church in Glarus, a village just a couple of valleys over from Wildhaus on the other side of Lake Wallensee. Uh, the first job any pastor has, uh, for those of you who've been a pastor or you've worked with a pastor, is to figure out the spiritual roadmap that they're going to take their congregation on, their, their church, in terms of the sermonic calendar, in terms of Bible studies, in terms of preaching series. And Zwingli opened his Bible and what he read was that he started to see that there was a huge contrast between what the Bible was teaching and the traditions that the Roman Catholic Church was demanding that people follow. And this is when he made a very, very significant decision personally and as a pastor as well. In The Great Controversy, Ellen White tells us what that decision was. She tells us, he submitted himself to the Bible as the Word of God, the only sufficient infallible rule. He saw that it must be its own interpreter. He dared not attempt to explain scripture to sustain a preconceived theory or doctrine, but held it his duty to learn what is its direct and obvious teaching. He sought to avail himself of every help to obtain a full and correct understanding of its meaning. And he invoked the aid of the Holy Spirit, which he would, he declared, reveal to all who sought it in sincerity and with prayer. Zwingli went on to share with us his own reflections at the time. The scripture comes from God, not from man. And even the God who enlightens will give you to understand that the speech, this writing comes from God. The word of God cannot fail. It is bright. It teaches itself. It discloses itself. It illumines the soul with all salvation and grace, comforts it in God, humbles it so that it loses, even forfeits itself and embraces God. He went on to say, when I began to give myself wholly up to the scriptures, philosophy and theology would always come suggesting quarrels to me. 
At last I came to this, that I thought to myself, you must let all that lie and learn the meaning of God purely out of his own simple word. Then I began to ask God for light, and the scriptures began to be much easier to me. In other words, Zwingli chose sola scriptura. He based his preaching, his teaching, his spiritual habits on the Bible. The results were mixed. Some people just wanted to hang on to the traditions that they knew so well that the church had been teaching for, for centuries. But for others, the Bible teachings were like drinking from Swiss mountain streams. It quenched their spiritual thought, thirst and brought peace to their souls. They started to share the light with everyone they knew. And so the gospel was carried from chalet to chalet, hamlet to hamlet, village to village. Sola Scriptura became sola Scriptura, a light in the hearts of the Swiss. God had bigger plans for this courageous man. He was invited to become the pastor of the cathedral in Zurich. This was like being invited to be the pastor of Runga Church in Sydney or the National Church in Canberra. And like other well-established churches, the leadership team at the Zurich Cathedral knew what they wanted. And this is what they told their new pastor to do. You, you will make every effort, they said, to collect the revenues of our, our area without overlooking anyone. You'll exhort the faithful, both from the pulpit and in the confessional, to pay all tithes and dues and to show by their offerings their faithfulness and commitment to the church. You'll be diligent, increasing the income arising from the sick, from masses and in general from every ecclesiastical ordinance. It was all about money. They did go on to say to, to Zwingli, as for the administration of the sacraments, the communion service and marriage and things like that, the preaching and the care of the flock, these are also duties of the pastor. But for these, you may employ an associate and particularly in the area of preaching. In other words, focus on money, delegate preaching to a junior pastor. Zwingli listened carefully and he thanked them for the honour of being called to be the pastor of their cathedral. However, he shared with them his vision. The life of Christ, he said, has been too long hidden from the people. I shall preach upon the whole of the gospel of St. Matthew, drawing solely from the fountains of scripture, sounding its depths, comparing one passage with another and seeking for understanding by constant earnest prayer it is to God's glory and to the praise of his only son, to the real salvation of souls and to the edification in the true faith that I shall consecrate my ministry. The elders were a bit taken aback. They, they, they tried to change his, his mind, but Zwingli stuck to his spiritual leadership strategy. And the result? People flocked to his church. They were hungry to hear the gospel. It's fascinating that Zwingli himself was faced with the question whether he really believed in the gospel that he was preaching. 500 years ago, in 1519, a pandemic swept throughout Europe and Switzerland. 
people started dying like flies and it drove people to start searching for a stronger spiritual foundation. What was the real meaning in life? Zwingli himself contracted the plague and came close to death. But throughout this time, he put his faith in Jesus based on his belief and his trust in what the scriptures had said. And when he recovered, he started preaching the gospel with a greater passion. People lapped it up because they knew that everything else that they might put their faith in was only transient. The pandemic, the plague had showed this. Zwingli committed his life to Sola Scriptura. He based all his preaching on this principle. You know, he even clashed with Luther on the principle of Sola Scriptura. Not, they were both committed to it, but Zwingli said that the communion service, the, 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 um, the bread and the wine were symbols based on his understanding of the Bible and what Jesus said in John chapter 6. And he was went on to, to preach, this is what we must practice. But why should we accept the principle of Sola Scriptura? You know, we may have been handed down the torch of the Reformation as Seventh Adventists, as Christians, but why should we run with it? The reason why Sola Scriptura is so important brings us back or takes us back to the very nature of God himself. The Bible tells us very clearly and plainly, God is love. God is love. And the very nature of love is to build relationship, to communicate, to express that love to us, the wonderful recipients of that unfathomable love. God loves us and wants to communicate with us. And he's done this first and foremost through his son. As the disciple John wrote, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. But the reality is this, that you and I cannot physically see Jesus. We cannot physically follow in his footsteps along the shore of Lake Galilee. We cannot physically watch him heal the sick in Capernaum. We cannot physically listen to him preach the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot physically follow the trail of drops of blood along the Via Dolorosa. So how can we learn about Jesus? The wonderful good news is this, that God has not left us destitute. He has inspired the written word which conveys this story, this gospel, this testimony of Jesus that we desperately need to hear, that our souls hunger and thirst for. The only thing that can fill the spiritual vacuum in our hearts, just like those goat herds and shepherdesses found in Switzerland 500 years ago. 
Sola Scriptura is important because we find the clearest picture of Jesus in the Bible. Nowhere else. God inspired the scriptures for this very reason. The second reason why Sola Scriptura is important is because there is a corollary, a corollary to God's nature of love. And that is this. God always tells the truth. He never lies. When Balaam was asked to curse the Israelites by King Balak, Balaam replied, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, will he not fulfill it? In the second breath of Paul's letter to his uh, young junior pastor Titus that he was mentoring, um, when he reminded him of the promise of the eternal life, he said, God never lies. And then when Paul was encouraging the Jewish Christians that God would definitely keep the promise that he made to Abraham, he plainly stated in Hebrews, it is impossible for God to lie. What this means is that you can fully and totally trust the word of God. Traditions may fail you. You may have been intentionally or unwittingly handed down the wrong tradition. Experience may fail you. The powers of evil may have orchestrated a, a wrong or bad experience for you. Culture may fail you. It's just the collective wisdom and experience and traditions of fallible human beings, just like you and I. Reason may fail you because our reasoning powers have been damaged by sin. But God will never fail you. He will never lie to you. The inspired word of God is a solid foundation on which to build your life, your faith, your beliefs, and your future. The third reason why Sola Scriptura is important is because there's a fundamental unity within the Scripture because it flows from a single source, the mind of God. As Paul reminded Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is in stark contrast to the polytheistic world of the Greeks, Romans, and Hindus, where gods warred and craved and mated and slept and died. Reality was built on a spiritual quilt of different gods, a sea of different gods with varying powers and natures. In contrast, the monotheistic worldview of Christianity means the reality is built on a single ultimate cause who brings a fundamental unity to the world in which we live. The, the reality, the truth though, is that we are living in the midst of a great controversy where there are dark principalities, powers and rulers trying to vie for control for our lives. However, in the midst of this darkness, there is a light, there is a beacon, the inspired word of God, which is God's revelation to us. Sola Scriptura. The unity of the scriptures is why Zwingli understands that the Bible must be its own interpreter, not science, not tradition, not other ancient literature or, or stories. That's exactly the perspective that Jesus took. 
That's why he referred his interlocutors back to the scriptures for answers that they were prying him for with regards to this Sabbath, marriage, his identity and future prophecies. The unity of scripture also leads us to the principle of tota scriptura, where we study the whole Bible to understand what God is saying to us and not take verses out of context. There is that classic example of this. Judas went out and hanged himself. Go thou and do likewise, which of course is not what the Bible is saying. But on a more serious note, Satan himself quoted scripture out in the desert as he tried to undermine Jesus' grounding in his identity as the Son of God. Because Jesus himself was taught the scriptures by his mother when he was growing up in the village of Nazareth. He was not caught out by Satan's trap. He'd been studying the Bible in nature for himself. He'd been studying the Bible in the desert. It was sola scriptura for Jesus once again. So bringing it back home to us as Seventh-day Adventists, what about the, the writings of Ellen White? How do they fit in to our worldview and sources of theological beliefs? Just a couple of days ago, I was tagged in a Facebook post where a young woman was posting videos challenging Ellen White's predictions. The post ended with the rallying cry, hashtag Sola Scriptura. And the young Facebook reformer is absolutely right. We need to apply the Sola Scriptura principle to Ellen White's writings herself. But here is the fascinating thing. She did that too. Alan White told us that she is the lesser light to lead us to the greater light. She was pointing us back to the, to the Bible, to the scriptures, sola scriptura. But I would like to encourage you to try reading some of Alan White's writings like Steps to Christ, The Desire of Ages, The Great Controversy, The Ministry of Healing, and Christ's Object Lessons you will find yourself in those writings being pointed back to Jesus and to the Bible and to the Bible. It's a wonderful, powerful experience. You know, the prophet Isaiah told us emphatically to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. May you live your lives in the light of his word, Sola Scriptura.